There you hear it again, the famous organ intro. Not only does he code all our back end, all our front end, all the infrastructure, debug everything, he does the intro and outro for the It's a Monkey podcast, episode number 14. It is, um, what date are we today, James? Friday, the 1st of March. That's the 1st. Yep. March already. You know, I got a. Um, someone emailed in, do you do weddings, bar mitzvahs? Uh, I, I could try. I could try. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to practice a few songs and I wish what we, they want. We should get a live cam in the studio because it's quite impressive. You're coding with the one hand and you're playing and the, the organ with the other. other. Yeah. Try and get some drums as well and do that on my feet. See if I can do the one man band. If if we could uh yeah, if we could only clone you, James. You're listening to the It's a Monkey Podcast, episode number fourteen. You with Kevin Garber and James Peter. We are the co founders of a company called 89N, which is the home of Manage Flitter and CheckDog. Um, a lot of people know about Manage Flitter, but CheckDog doesn't have as high a profile. If you haven't looked at it, go to CheckDog.com. It will, it's an automatic, uh, automated system for proofreading your website, checks for typos, broken links, and we've just updated the UI and rolled out a heap of new infrastructure. So we're excited to get more people onto it. So have a look there. Um, James is uh, the lead dev, CTO. Um, um, not sure what the the, um, the the common title is these days. Head engineer, um, and I'm I'm the CEO. I'm still trying to work out exactly what I do here. But um, <laughs> we we the co-founders of Manage Flutter, 89N, Check Dog, etc. We put this podcast together every two weeks. We have been pretty good keeping to schedule. So we recorded on Fridays Sydney time. And we edit it and we try to get it up by uh, Friday evening Sydney time, which means if you're in the States, and most of you who listen are in the States, get into the habit of checking on Saturdays um, if the podcast, the new podcast is up. It's every two weeks. So if you subscribe to iTunes or um, you just follow our tweets or our fan page, get in the habit every Saturday, listen to our new podcast. Subscribing on iTunes is a really good idea. Then you don't have to think about it. Um, we are growing listeners in leaps and bounds, which is terrific. We try to keep the shows interesting for you, talking about everything tech-related, tech economy-related. Speaking of interviews and content, we have a great show lined up. We'll be talking to Trevor Long, who is the Manager of Technology, Strategy and Innovation at a TV station in Australia called SBS, which stands for Special Broadcast Services. Now, I believe this is a unique TV station in the world. It's a multicultural TV station funded at least significantly in part by the government. It uh, was set up in, James, do you know when SBS was set up? 80s? Mm. 70s? Before I was born, yeah. Sometime in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. Pretty innovative, I would say. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. I don't think there's that many, many stations like it around the world. I definitely like to sort of uh, tune in every now and then and check out what's on. Of course, they've been famous because they show the European movies. Mm. So, you know, people always like to turn on SBS late at night for <laughs> all the, 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 the French films and the Italian films that are a little bit more risque. It's a bit explicit ones, yeah. There was, there was one on it last night, actually. I think it was about a, uh, 
a guy, um, it's quite an interesting one. I briefly looked through, <laughs> briefly looked through, it's going down the wrong, wrong avenue here. Um, but uh, it was about a guy, I think, um, who moved to um, uh, Hollywood and it's sort of a story of his life and how he got sort of into making uh, pornography and how he sort of evolved from just a normal director into into a pornographer but um, a, a doco or yeah a documentary yeah yeah wow but it's that kind of stuff like it's really quite interesting that normal normal in, in quotes uh you know tv stations wouldn't show but it's it's quite quite interesting if stuff, you put so. the right filters and context yeah you you can get away with anything even even if it's porn yeah, <laughs> it's all of, yeah. about context exactly yeah um, so we'll be trying to travel along about all the developments in the TV industry. TV seems to have really, um, there's a new breath of life into the TV industry thanks to social media and in particular Twitter. So we'll be talking to Trevor Long. But as usual, we kick off with some news items. And I woke up this morning with my tweet stream going wild with um, Andrew Mason was fired from the company that he co-founded or founded not sure technically what he labels himself uh, as there, mm. but um, Groupon. Yeah, big, big, big step down there. I mean, uh, he's been he's been there for a long time and leading a lot of the, the company culture. It's quite an interesting move by the board. I was reading some, there's a, a great article on Business Insider, which I'll put on the show notes, a little bit about the history of Groupon. I mean, we all have bits and pieces about the history of Groupon. Groupon was started only in 2008, which is not long ago. Do you know what their revenue was? Um, that it's still estimated the, the Americans released revenue on calendar dates. So do you know the 2012 revenue um, for Groupon? Any guesses? Mm, no idea. It's it's guesstimated to be around over two billion. Wow, really? Now that's that's, that's revenue, okay. Thought. So it's not it's not profit, and there's a whole you know mm. it's a whole convoluted um, business model that Groupon have. But it, Groupon was famous for being labelled as one of the fastest, if not the fastest, growing mm. company in history. I've got some of their numbers here. I think in two thousand and nine. Total turnover, or as the Americans call it, revenue, $14 million. The next year, over $300 million. Wow. The next year, over $1.5 billion. That's amazing. And they're now over $2 billion. So, you know, now you can see why it's, I mean, that's, that's unbelievable growth. Um, Groupon has been criticized a lot for their business model being unsustainable. I won't get into all of those arguments, but there's all sorts of arguments and people, very smart people, have written some interesting critiques. They were also criticized when they um, had their IPO. It was nearly a billion-dollar IPO. They were also criticized that a lot of the money that went into the company, they took off the table. Well, the, uh, a lot of the initial investors took off the table, mm-hmm. a large proportion of that. Um, so they were criticized for that. So it it's, has not been without controversy. They based in Chicago. And, and the interesting backstory was that Andrew Mason was just doing some database work for another entrepreneur who was already successful in Chicago. And um, he started with some sort of obscure selling social media sites. And, and, and he noticed... He noticed some trend of people trying to group together and save money on things or raise money for things. The Business Insider article articulated quite nicely. And then hmm. uh, Andrew Mason eventually goes to um, Eric, uh, I forget his surname, um, 
the guy that he was working for mm. and eventually sold him the concepts and things started um, picking up really, really quickly. I'll actually include a link to um, a, a forum post, which I, I, I sent you earlier, which in 2006, which is two years before Groupon was actually launched, Andrew Mason posted on a forum asking for some advice <laughs> about that he's that he's got an investor really interested in his idea, what's the best angle um, to to approach it. So it's, it's amazing how, um, how, how, you know, couple of billion dollar business can you know you can can be built by somebody with you know no real idea of how this stuff works from the get-go you know just just learned as he went to went along it's just an amazing amazing story of sort of coming from humble beginnings amazing story and also you know very much also you know pointing to the importance of the ecosystem that you're in as well i mean this was actually in chicago not in the valley as a lot of them are but it was still within a network of successful high net worth individuals that not only had deep pockets but were very entrepreneurial as well yeah. you know i'm pretty sure if andrew mason was um working at um you know a corporate in in sydney for instance it's it's a bit of a dead end so the mm. importance of ecosystems you know, I mean, if you're a wannabe entrepreneur, uh, definitely my advice to you is placing yourself in somewhere where, where you're exposed to ecosystems so that if you do have an idea and you do have the right goods, you can just leverage and scale and, and, and take, um, you know, you, you can really take up the opportunities that mm. are, I mean, he, he brought no, as was my understanding, he brought no money to the table as, at all. Yeah. So, but also I think that the important learning from this is internet businesses, I mean, the, you know, I'm looking, I've written out the numbers here on my notebook and I see 14 million, 300 million, 1.6 billion. I mean, this is the internet for you. I mean, the, the, the opportunity for scale yeah. is unprecedented and people, people still, I still feel as excited as everyone is about the internet. Um, people still do not really understand the commercial opportunities yeah. that it represents. Yeah, it's so different from a brick and mortar business where you have to sort of count every every cost, and you've got to scale your infrastructure with along with your your revenue. You know, online businesses, you know, your revenue scales and your your infrastructure costs, you know, stay almost flat. So yeah, it's an amazing way to make money. I think of it every day when we go out. We've, we've, our office is in downtown Sydney and the famous chef, uh, Jamie Oliver, has one of his restaurants literally across the street from us. Mm -hmm. And they always have queues outside the restaurant, right? Almost, you know, morning to night. And I always, whenever I walk past and I think, how much it must really suck for them. Their mm. business model is just so constrained. They got yeah. all these people the whole time. They want more, they want more, and they cannot Can't scale yeah. and they cannot deliver it. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, and then I think how lucky we are to work in the internet where um, you know opportunities abound. So if if you're about to start a company, I really encourage you to think of a global scalable company where you'll have to scale infrastructure and computers and not people and not geographies and 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 things like that so yeah look i mean he he's um have a look at his um resign it's not really a resignation letter it's a how would you describe it it's a uh, 
announcement of being fired. An announcement <laughs> of being fired, and good on him for you know. Yeah, it's it's a really great letter. It's really it's really humble and well written and um, and honest. Really, is what it comes down to. It's pretty honest. I mean, the reason why they fired him is that the results have been really bad. And looking at the share price, I mean, when it listed, it peaked at about twenty seven dollars. Mm. November it dropped to an all time low of of two dollars seventy. Oh yeah, wow. I think it's about it was about four dollars. It bounced. Uh, it bounced apparently when he was fired a bit. So okay. the shareholders liked that. But then apparently the the results were a bit disappointing that they were announcing. So it came back down. So it's bouncing around a bit. But yeah, it's basically you know with public companies, we, with all companies, but particularly with com- public companies, you really are, are are tied into your results. Very very. There's a strong level of accountability, which. Yeah. Is good in one sense, but it's bad because the accountability is very short term. Absolutely, yeah. So the short term accountability, which isn't isn't always good, but um, a very interesting company to follow. Do you do you ever use the? Do you ever buy anything on the the group buying sites? Uh, I think I might have bought a group on once, um, but no, not not regularly. Yeah, I'm also not. I, I think I think also I've, I've I've bought it once, and you've got to pay a lot of attention to them, and you're going to kind of get it at the right time if it's something you want. So, yeah, it's not it's not something that appeals to me a lot. And if I was a if I was a business, a physical business, um, I guess even our business, it's it's kind of a hard decision to make whether it's worthwhile doing or not. These kind of group group purchasing sessions like you definitely get some customers but the value of what they provide is is it's hard to sort of understand so yeah it's um i mean there've been all sorts of stories you know if the if the companies can't deliver to the customers and the customers land up being yeah you know and whether you undermine your existing customers and all that kind of stuff whether you're really bringing in you know any kind of sustainable growth it's hard to know yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether group buying. Um, yeah, maybe somebody will take the take the business and you know make it into a more sustainable model and and you know focus on customer satisfaction as you know as he said in his exit e- exit email. I presume he means business the businesses that have used it their their satisfaction. Um, in his in his email. In his email. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the announcement, the firing announcement. Yeah. Yeah. He's just saying that they, you know, to focus on the customers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, it's almost like the model just needs to be tweaked a little bit. There, there is something in there. I think. I think the. I mean, the latest buzzword is being social commerce. You know, which hasn't really. I don't know. There's not much. I haven't noticed anything mainstream that sort of hit the ground. But, but you can understand. I mean, you can sort of. There's something in uh, somehow shopping together with your friends that are on Facebook at the same time. And yeah, there's definitely some value there. I'm just. I'm kind of surprised it's as big as it is. Like I'm surprised Groupon's grown to the size it is. Like I can see the value there on a small scale, but. Um, it's hard to understand how that value multiplies, um, you know, as, as a long-term way. Like, I don't, you know, it doesn't really fulfill the need of, you know, people want a product and they go out and purchase it. I guess it's fulfilling much more of a sort of an impulse purchase type type ecosystem. I think it solves one massive problem, which is a very hard problem to solve, and that is small businesses, which are the, the, the bulk of businesses in the world by far, mm. have incredibly tough times marketing themselves. Mm. Yeah, it's true. And and it's also very hard to to sell small businesses, 
um, you know, they loosely organize. It's a high cost of sale. Mm. Um, I mean, in Australia, the bulk of businesses, I think there's about over 2 million small businesses. I think there's only about 1,000 big businesses. Mm. So that, that problem is, is a very tough problem. Um, you know, com- small businesses are very thirsty yeah. to market themselves in a cheap way or a way that almost does not cost them anything. And they got this currency of their service, which in a way on the face of it doesn't cost them anything. Mm. And I guess on the flip side, the people that get the emails, they've got the problem of wanting to save money and get good deals. Everyone wants a deal or at least a specific type of person wants a deal. So anyway, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I certainly don't own any Groupon shares. And, um, any other? It wouldn't, wouldn't, be, wouldn't, be one of my, wouldn't be one of my favorites. No, I'd, I'd be a bit, uh, bit sketchy on that one right now. Um, Marissa Meyer's back in the news, CEO of Yahoo, ex-Google. She has basically said that if you're working from home or on the books is working from home, you have to report to your local Yahoo office and start <laughs> working from there. What do you think about that? Uh, I've got mixed opinions on this one. When I, when I first heard it, it was, um, you know, I was quite negative about it. It's the kind of thing, well, you know, if, you, if, if you're employing somebody with the premise that they're going to be able to work from home, that's part of the deal, then to take it away, you're kind of, um, you know, it seems a bit mean. Like it seems very tough to... To, to the employees to, to give them that perk and then take it away, particularly when the company's not not doing amazingly well. Um, you know, you, you don't want to sort of incentivize people to leave. But um, then I thought about it a bit more, and I think it was quite a good article on TechCrunch where they were talking about, um, uh, you know, how, how Yahoo, well, the, the, you know, they aren't really doing that well. And in some sense it makes, uh, you know, it's good value for them to kind of knuckle down and get everybody in the office working together. Um, and, you know, maybe this will incentivize some people to quit, which actually isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to remove some of the, the culture of sort of slacking and just, just, just you know, letting things go along as they are and, and kind of, um, you know, I, in a sense, it seems like Marissa's trying to create this culture of, you know, hard work and, 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 um, and dedication to really bringing Yahoo back into, a, in, into being sort of an important player. Um, premium property, premium, premium property, place to yeah. work. So, I mean, in that sense, it, it kind of makes 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 sense. Um, but yeah, it's hard to know. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm definitely a mixed opinions. There's definitely two sides to it. I think um, I think what's interesting is it's I think it's I think it's not a coincidence that she's being controversial mm. or slightly controversial at least. In what way? Well, I think there's there's two wins, right? They get they're getting exposure. Mm. You know, when all the stuff comes out, it's people are getting opinionated about Yahoo. Think about all the great companies in the world. You know, people have opinions about them. I think the worst thing is when people don't have opinions about them. Mm. You know, like the local corner store, you don't really have an opinion about it. You know, the new sexy restaurant world. You know, people will will love it, or some will go, it's overrated. Or people, there's she she's creating some buzz around it hmm. she's a good point she's being really decisive as well really strong bold leadership hmm. of course there's all this fallout about the whole female entrepreneurship female work-life balance you know which has spun out which i followed a little bit and i actually reached out to an ink columnist called meg hershenberg who wrote a really interesting column in in this month's 
Inc. Magazine. And if, if you're an entrepreneur, want to be an entrepreneur, it's the one resource that I really recommend. Inc. Magazine is just fantastic. Very little fluff or rigor. And she wrote about female entrepreneurs. And hopefully in the next podcast, we'll be talking to her for her take on all of this. And, um, you, you know, a lot of people saying, yeah, you know, mums that are working from home and now they can't, you know, a lost opportunity. But look, she's she's the leader of the company. She, you have to trust that she knows best. And I think speaking as a, um, you know, fellow CEO, although I, I very hazard with, with very strong hesitation, include myself in the same category <laughs> as Marissa Mayer. But I think sometimes... You know, what people don't realize is that you don't know what you don't know, right? And particularly, like, you, you don't know what issues the CEOs are, are grappling with. You mm. don't know what their vision is. You don't know what the backstory is around it. Yeah. And you just have to actually back your leader that there's a, a bit of, um, you know, meaning in, in what's going on there. I think on the, the whole work home versus work away debate, I mean, it is one of those debates where you can really you know find research on either side and argue on either side what does surprise me where i think it is really bold is that there's a massive you know um skill shortage in our industry Hmm. and to have the confidence to just say you know you're out of here unless you toe this line there was an interesting story i I don't know sure if it was tech crunch or business insider but there there are crazy rumors that some people have you know been on payrolls and not doing anything and no accountabilities and and it and and it almost sounds like a you know these these crazy stories of of some developing countries where people are on salaries of doing nothing so there, there might be some rot there that has crept in and she may not actually be against it working from home per se but it may just be one strategy to try and help clear out the rot you know these, these yeah absolutely yeah these big companies are, are, you know, they monoliths. It takes time and it's hard to turn things around. Yeah, yeah. And there could definitely be people abusing the system, you know. Yeah. Effectively, you know, just, just working from home all the time and, you know, just showing up, you know, once a month, whatever, at the office and not really putting their all into the company. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I think my opinion on working from home is that um, to, to mix it up I think I think to have your team all together sometimes but I think to give your team the opportunity on that occasion to to have the benefits from working from home um, you know there's powerful yeah I mean there's there's kind of working from home and there's remote work as well I mean each has its has its benefits and you know remote work obviously allows you to have people in you know anywhere in the world working for you which you know makes sense when you've got an online business but um, but yeah there's there's all kinds of elements that go into it yeah you're listening to Kevin Garber and James Peter. Um, we are chewing the fat, so to speak. Um, not the animal fat, though. <laughs> Vegetable fat. <laughs> um, uh, and, yeah, I was going to go on a, on a tangent about my personal life, but I thought no one is interested. No, okay. <laughs> no one is interested. So, anyway, we're discussing everything related to the tech economy. Please tweet us at It's a Monkey, no, Monkey Podcast. Uh, email us at podcast at it's a monkey.com. We love to hear from you. We've also got a Facebook fan page. Um, and I think, the, yeah, those are the social media networks we're on. 
listen to our podcast every Saturday, your time, every second Saturday. So just get in the habit of checking on a Saturday whether there is a new podcast. We have some great guests coming up um, over the next few weeks. Um, Branch.com. Um, we'll be talking to his this one of the co-founders of Branch.com. That's cool. sort of one of the companies that's also sort of bubbling, bubbling under. Probably unless you're in the industry, you haven't really heard of it. But it's it's an interesting sort of content type play that some of the Twitter guys are investors in. Yeah, they've got an interesting interesting UI, a bit of a different take on the social network. Yeah, so we'll um, heard heard back from from one of uh, their co-founders. So excited to talk to them. So we're going to a very short break, and afterwards I will be talking to Trevor Long, who's the manager of technology strategy and innovation at SBS Australia. So please stay with us. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. With Manage Flitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back, find new people to follow. Track keywords on Twitter and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code monkey2 at ManageFlitter to receive a one-month free budgie account. You're back with Kevin Garber on the It's a Monkey podcast. Thanks for joining us and listening to us. We broadcast a minimum of every two weeks. Now, something interesting has been happening in the social media space, in the Twitter space, um, Twitter uh, made its largest acquisition ever a couple of uh, weeks ago. They bought a company called Bluefin Labs. I believe they bought it for $90 million. That's an unconfirmed amount, but it's Twitter's largest acquisition to date. Now, Bluefin Labs is a social TV analytics firm. What is interesting is why would they buy a company like that? Now, something interesting has been happening in the TV space. For many, many years, probably as much as 20 years, there's been this promise of interactive TV where people who are watching TV could interact somehow with their programs. It hasn't really happened up until now. Have a look at the latest stats. 85% of tablet or smartphone users use their phone at least once a month whilst watching TV and 40% use it every day while watching TV. So people are using their tablets, using their smartphones, mainly to update their social media whilst watching TV. During the Super Bowl, which is the big grand sport events in the States, 24.1 million tweets were sent out about the Super Bowl during the Super Bowl. And during the Oscars last week, nearly 9 million tweets were sent out during the Oscars. So there's this um, um, this link that's happening between social media and TV. And up the road here in Sydney, uh, we have a TV station called SBS, which I believe is quite unique in the world, stands for Special Broadcasting Services, I believe. And I was pointed to the fact that we have a, an expert in this whole space, and I'm happy to have at the end of the line Trevor Long, who's the Manager of Technology, Strategy and Innovation at SBS TV. Trevor, thanks very much for joining us. Absolutely not a problem. Trevor, um, is it true that SBS is a bit of a world, sort of uh, one-of-a-kind TV station as a matter of interest? Yeah, well, as a media company, we, uh, we have television. We have multiple television networks. We, we own uh, pay TV channels. Uh, we also operate uh, radio networks that broadcast in 68 languages. So you know, given that we service so many different language groups and given that we have a, a charter from, from government to... Uh, you know, look after what is the, the cultural uh, sense of Australia. It's a very different and very unique broadcaster. But, you know, we're still, uh, we're here for every Australian. So the idea is to ensure that every Australian is able to engage with this uh, multilingual, multinational and uh, the world content. Very exciting. 
So yeah, I believe it's the the only government funded multicultural broadcast in the world, which is terrific and real testament to uh, Aus- Australia. But anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. Let's talk about this animal, about uh, TV, social media, and what's w- what's going on. It's uh, TV seems to be hitting a a new phase. Yeah, it's interesting because Twitter is obviously a really great real time medium to to discuss uh, anything, and television is one of the most discussed things because you're sitting on the TV on the couch at night watching TV and you've got your phone, you've got your tablet, whatever it is. What, what's interesting to me is basically what we're getting here is we're getting a conversation amongst people that might normally happen together in a room, but you know, a lot of people are at home watching alone. So you begin to have this conversation with multiple people, even though they're not in the room with you. And that's um, that's really empowering for people to actually join a conversation. And so especially around sporting events and, and big blockbuster television programs or or other programming, you know, it really has an effect. So what's happening is television, you know, networks and media networks are trying to work out how to engage with those people more directly. And, you know, we've seen some reasonable examples of that. The ABC have done some fantastic stuff here in Australia with Q&A, which is a, you know, a political panel program. And what they do is they put tweets on screen, you know. Yes, someone says something and they, they put a graphic on the screen. But it is a really base level, very entry level approach to, um, to how to interact with the TV screen and it really becomes a bit of a competition. You know, I want to get my tweet on the screen. The, what, what happens next is what's probably a little bit more exciting, I would think. So, so you know, the next, the next evolution of that is how to, how, to, how to actually make that engaging content because there's one thing to just putting people's messages on the screen. Uh, but really, does the average Joe want to hear what the other average Joe has to say about a particular thing? Probably not, and that's what the research shows. So what, uh, what's happening now is... is companies like SBS and all media companies around the world are looking at ways and products and companies that are able to tap the the social stream, uh, look at the full social stream and, and use a bit of intelligence around filtering and sorting of that content, you know, by authority, uh, by topic, by any any number of measures to determine which stuff may or may not make, make it onto the screen for a start and also find new ways of, of doing that. So rather than just putting, you know, tweets on screen, perhaps look at you know, showing polls or, or graphs or word clouds around the conversation. So you can be watching a program and they may put a graphic up on the screen, which in real time represents the conversation that's going on on the internet. And that, that gets pretty exciting, certainly around live sporting events, because, you know, at half time they could put up a graphic which shows literally at that moment what people are talking about. And the commentators could say something slightly different. They could skew the conversation. And that, that conversation online might be reflected on screen. So this is where it gets really exciting when you have this real-time flow between what's being said on air, what's being said online, shown on TV. It becomes, it becomes really exciting, mate. And I think that's, that's the next 12 months for, for, the, for the media industry, I think. So at this, at this stage, it seems it's still a little bit in the, the novelty phase where showing tweets on, streams, uh, tweets on screens might still be um, almost interesting, but it's really becoming a bit tired. And, and the next phase is, is, as you say, how to do something intelligent with that data. And I think the real-time nature, I agree with you, is really the crux of it. I mean, in the Super Bowl, when the lights went out and one of the brands immediately um, within a couple Oreo. of minutes, Oreos, that's it, just, just pushed out an ad um, around the fact that the lights goes on, uh, went down. And I think this is where Twitter really see the opportunity for that real-time advertising based on what is happening in the conversation. And I think that's where really Twitter is going to become a, a, a cash cow in a way in that they, they, they're a real-time advertising environment or an almost real-time advertising environment. 
Well, absolutely. And you, what we know is that people are staying more engaged with their televisions uh, during the breaks because they're not, they're not getting up off the lounge as much because they've still got that second screen that can keep the conversation going. So what you'll see is, is networks look at ways to bring people through the, through the ad break. Stay in front of your TV um, and, and keep the conversation going with your friends while you're watching the television and we'll be back in a couple of minutes, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and then you'll start seeing advertisers. Now, well, I guess the other thread that, that is really important to make here is that, yeah, we can talk about tweets on screen, stats on screen, all that sort of stuff. But think about a media organisation or, or any organisation, frankly, um, especially any business. The analysing of real-time social data, the analytics you can get around it, it's super powerful. So I'll, I'll try and come up with an example here. You know, you've got a football match on and Coke are advertising. Now, Coke have 25 different 30-second spots available on any given time, you know, different ads. And what they can do is they can go, what are people saying right now about the game? What are people saying right now about our ad? And who are those people? So you just, just remember, they're the most engaged of the audience that are, that are having these conversations. So rather than saying, well, this football game has a demographic of, you know, 25 to 30, they can actually say not only is the demographic 25 to 30, but because of what we know about the hugely engaged audience online, we know that they're actually 25 to 28, and we know that they're predominantly male, and we know that they're predominantly on the East Coast, and we know that they're predominantly, you know, health aware because of what they've been talking about socially for the last year because we know these things. And so next night... Or the next ad break, in reality, Coke could change the ad that they play because of the audience they know exists. And so you'll get this targeting, not directly to the consumer for many years, but you'll get this targeting of content because the insights around the audience become so much more powerful. I think that's a really exciting thing that we, we won't really know is happening because it's happening behind the scenes. Is, I mean, is it effectively Twitter exclusively or is is other any other of the social media networks um you, you know engaging during the tv shows and are there opportunities on the other social media networks as well twitter have a huge head start on everyone else here instagram is fantastic because again it's open like twitter but you know uh there's only so much you can gather from a photo but there is some great uh editorial stuff you can do with photos on the screen so that's a fantastic thing facebook has this problem where it's a closed environment which is great because that's what facebook is for in my opinion but when, if you set up a page for, um, go back to where you came from, which is what we have at SBS, a flagship program, actually getting people to go to the page and talk about the program mm. is very difficult because you don't go to Facebook to go somewhere else within Facebook to have a conversation. You go to Facebook to tell your friends what you think or to respond to your friends' thoughts. And you can't tap into that because it's private in most cases. So what Facebook are doing is there's a there's a little thing they're rolling out very, very slowly, which, and you might have seen people who, who use Facebook, you might have seen they're asking weird questions now. They're not just saying, what are you up to? They're saying, how are you doing? Uh, what are you working on? And they've got really weird phrases to get you to get that status update. I ne- what I they're going to have is... I never noticed they actually changed change that. That's quite interesting. Yes. Yeah, they have. And now what they're going to have is they're going to have a little kind of drop down where you can kind of say, I'm watching, and the drop down will allow you to say, well, I'm watching Dr. Phil, or I'm watching Go Back to Where You Came From, or I'm watching something. And hopefully what will happen is that that analytic will be available, you know, assuming people set their privacy settings in a certain way. Um, You know, TV organization can actually, you know, counsel people that are watching so they can use triggers on screen. They can show those conversations. Maybe that's where Facebook is playing with that, but they've got a long way to go to open themselves up to, to the media or to use this on the media and their challenge is you know whenever they open something up 
they get the privacy uh, brigade come down on them. So Facebook is really, really hindered by its closed wall environment um, in, in terms of growth in this social TV space. There's also this um, rumored to be the social network that some people have spoken about called Google Minus or Plus, Plus. or something. Google Plus, yeah. <laughs> I, I, was being, is, uh, I was being facetious, yeah. by the way. <laughs> it's, uh, you know what? I went back there yesterday, uh, and it's just as much a uh, uh, you know a, a desert, deserted, bare land as it ever was. You know, there's five or six people that are in my circles that are, that are very active there because they believe in it as a, as a thing. It's actually a really good platform. I mean, I really want to. No love, I, I really want to love Google Plus, you know, and particularly the Android app is really slick and really good. But um, yeah, it's 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 missing some magic somewhere. Somehow, the DNA, the lack of social well, uh, DNA it, in Google just doesn't come through. No, you know what it is? It's just lacking people, and people are burnt out. There is 11.5 million Australians on Facebook now. That's more than 50% of the population. And you've got to remember, that's not just, you know, nerds and early takers. That's, that's, that's everyone. That's a lot of people. And for you to sit down with someone and say, hey, I see you're on Facebook a lot. Why don't you go to Google Plus as well? They're like, really? Another place? I've got to post my photo twice. Or I go there and there's not many people there. So it's a very easy thing to not go to once you've had a look. And that's, that's unfortunately, people, uh, I, got, I got quite hammered. I said something about um, Twitter or Facebook being having a first mover advantage. You know, people say there is no first mover. Did you hear of MySpace? Well, I call Facebook and Twitter first movers in their respective spaces in terms of success. You know, Facebook has that closed social network environment sewn up. Twitter has the open, short messaging environment sewn up. And frankly, there's, there's no hope of anyone challenging that. Google needs to find something different. There's, I mean, um, Pinterest is doing exceptionally well. Again, because it's a new thing. Yeah, mm. it's completely different. It's a, it's a sharing. It's not sharing photos. It's a sharing of great web content you see, and it's heavily skewed towards females. My wife is on Pinterest a lot. I don't want to try and quantify it, but she loves it because she finds great new things, new ideas for the home, new ideas for the kids' craft. It's a very different place. It's not. I actually really hate the term social network when it refers to YouTube and things like Pinterest because YouTube's not a social network. You know, YouTube's just a, a, a repository of video that is, you know, very well indexed and searchable. Pinterest is an excellent, again, probably a repository of, you know, shared and liked content from around the web. It's not a social network. Do you know what I mean? And I don't see it as a social network in the, in the pure sense of the, you know, communication, um, you know, liking, sharing and, and commenting. It's, it's just so different in that respect. So, um, you know, it, but Pinterest, again, can easily be tapped by, by media networks as a source of um, great content. But the problem is the content shared on Pinterest is normally copyrighted. Mm, you know, people, is, people share stuff that's that on a copyright. Instagram photos are not. Yeah, um, I agree with you though that people have real fatigue of rebuilding up their social graph, and that 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 is a real issue. I even find it myself. I live, eat, and breathe this stuff, but I find it difficult to sort of get into my Pinterest, and even Tumblr is another one that I'd love to get into more. And it's just that you you reach saturation point. Yeah, I, to, to be honest, um, three is enough, and I'll tell you the third one we haven't talked about because it's it's a bit different. It's LinkedIn, you know. It's really simple to me. Twitter is a place where I share anything and everything with everyone. Facebook is a place where I share my personal and private thoughts with my friends and family. LinkedIn is where I basically keep a, a set of contacts. Anyone that I've, I've met is on LinkedIn. So it's a great place, it's a directory for me to find them and maybe understand what people do and who they are, but I don't share content there. So 
very they're the, they're the three social networks, but LinkedIn itself is again probably on the on the edge of that category in my opinion. Trevor, can I ask, has the TV industry breathing a big sigh of relief that an injection of new life has come in the form of, of this Twitter layer around TV? I mean, they must have been really worried when things like YouTube and in the States, Hulu, and I mean, which is obviously owned by the TV networks, I understand that. But still, there's been a lot of uncertainty about losing traditional viewers, so to speak. Yeah, it depends how you look at it. You know, traditional linear broadcast television is extremely successful and still is. Millions upon millions of people watch it every night here in Australia. So it's not like it's dead. Uh, it's not dying. Is it declining? Yes. But that's because all networks, and FBS, I'm quite proud to say, are, are, are certainly well ahead in this regard. You know, ABC launched iView early and they were great. SBS On Demand, our on-demand video viewing catch-up service, is on more platforms than any other network in Australia, something like 20-plus different platforms. So people can consume that content anywhere, anytime. So, you know, when you supplement those people into the linear, the broadcast viewing experience, it's still a huge number. Um, and the problem is YouTube is 99% crap. Um, you know, the content there is just, you know, fun stuff people have filmed on their mobile phones and there's not a lot of high quality content there. So it's not really a competitor. The original question, um, yeah, these things, are, these things are great. Um, these things do breathe new potential into interlinear television and broadcast television, and they also create a higher engagement. Now, a higher engagement means hopefully more audience and hopefully more revenue too. But uh, there's there's even bigger things to come, um, which we could probably talk about in an, on another day called HBBTV, which is hybrid broadband television, which is uh, on on your connected smart TV while you're watching free-to-air television, you'll be able to launch. What is essentially web content doesn't look like web pages, but it's just content via the web that is embedded and overlaid within the broadcast picture. So you're not taken out of the viewing experience to get more content like scores or stats or Twitter or Facebook and those things. So there's some really exciting things the next two to three years. Massive change time for broadcast television. Now, I watch you guys on demand on my brand new Samsung Smart TV. Now, just a little bit of a technical question I have for you. How do you guys get to deliver um, such high definition so quickly? I mean, do you go, is it through content delivery networks? Do you guys do crazy compression? What's actually going on in the background? Uh, I, I think it's a combination of both. Look, you know, I asked the same question when I looked at another network's catch up and I thought the quality is quite poor. You know, it's a financial decision <laughs> um, because it costs money to deliver bigger content, right? So we made the decision that we wanted the content to be great. Now, it's not high definition yet. It will be. But, you know, we don't see a huge demand for that yet, but that will come and we're ready for it. But essentially, we made the decision that we wanted our content to be in good quality. It's good quality content. It should be viewed that way. Um, so, yeah, we, we made the decision to, to put the content delivery network um, together and, and go with the right partner that, that delivered quality. And we have a pretty good team in terms of the way we encode it and the processes that we use. Is it, is it a similar quality to iView and Foxtel online? Are they all sort of... Because when I watch ABC, SBS or Foxtel via the internet on my Samsung, they all look exceptional quality, pretty much similar. I, um, to be honest, I don't use ABC iView very much. I've, I've used it and it's, it's good. I certainly can't say it's better or worse than ours. Um, I, I'll, I'll tell you what I... My personal opinion as a, as a technology commentator is that Foxtel have possibly the best streaming at this point, you know, through their Foxtel Go app and Foxtel Go app on the iPhone. The, the adaptive streaming they have is, is industry benchmark. You know, you can be watching on a 3G connection and get a, you know, pretty poor quality and walk into a Wi-Fi 
you know, high broadband area and get just an unbelievably stunning quality. And that's, that adaptive streaming is, is, is fantastic. And I think they've just done a fantastic job, I believe, there with the Telstra content delivery network. So, sure, it's not cheap, but, uh, but it's well worth it for the quality. So, you know, there's always aspiration. And, and we, should, we should always remember the consumers want quality. They don't just want content. They want quality content and quality delivery too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I hadn't actually owned a TV for many years and I bought the Samsung Smart TV and the fact that I could just immediately get, um, you know, cable through Foxtel and all the on-demand stuff and it's just really, uh, it, it, it really is, uh, th- 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 there is a lot of interesting uh, d- developments for a tech person to, to follow in the TV industry. It is. It's a, it's a really exciting time. The next, the last you know, few years have been unbelievable change and I think you find the next two or three are going to be radically, uh, exponentially higher, um, which is great. It's great for the industry. It's great for the people in it. And more and most importantly for us, uh, it's great for the viewer. I think that's what we've always got to remember is this is not about, you know, surviving as an industry or anything. It's about being sure that the viewer gets what they want, where they want. Um, you know, SBS announced a new channel, SBS2, a relaunch of that last week and uh, it's going to have a youth target. But forget the target, forget the content. We also announced a thing called Back to Back, which allows... Basically, once the show has been on air, the first episode has been on air, every single episode of that series will be available to watch online for you to basically binge view. So it's a really exciting innovations like that that we think um, we think change the way audiences interact with television content. And uh, that's the kind of stuff we like to do to lead the market. One final question. I mean, is that is, are initiatives like that in an attempt to stop all the illegal downloads and things like that of, of episodes that people aren't necessarily doing because they want to skirt um, you, you know, the networks, but they're actually just really hungry to, to watch the episodes? The, the reason we did that is because we know that our audiences are passionate and they're hungry for content. And if they're hungry for the content, we'll give it to them. We, we don't care where they watch it. We just want them to watch it. We're, we're lucky. Um, we're, we're a publicly funded broadcaster with a hybrid model so we can make advertising revenue. But essentially, you know, we want more viewers. And uh, if we can get more viewers by giving them the content when they want it, where they want it, well, we win. Uh, and we, our, our previous, you know, attempts at this have shown that we don't actually use, lose audience on television because of it, because the hype around it, the conversation around it means that more people watch it on the TV as well. So for us, it's just about innovating and it's about giving the audience what they what they want. I, you know, whether whether online downloads and stuff actually have an impact on any of the networks, uh, I'm not too sure about that because it's a very small number of people that are doing it when you think about the entire nation. Is it, a, is it public knowledge what percentage of your revenue comes from advertising and which from uh, sort of government funding? Uh, it is in the board report. I don't have it off the top of my head, but it's certainly in the board report. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. Trevor, I know you're under time pressure. I really appreciate you joining us on the podcast. So we've been talking to Trevor Long, who's the Manager of Technology, Strategy and Innovation at SBS um, up the road here in Sydney. Um, hopefully, we can chat to you again soon. I think there's going to be a lot of activity in this space. Anytime. Appreciate it. Thanks, Trevor. Bye-bye. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. With Manage Flitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back, find new people to follow, track keywords on Twitter, and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code MONKEY2 at Manage Flitter to receive a one-month free budgie account. James SBS apparently in 1979 started broadcasting. Wow. Um, 19, no, sorry, 2006, they started advertising as well. Oh, yeah. I remember the old days when they didn't used to advertise. Yeah. Well, the ABC still doesn't advertise. SBS does. Can't find out exactly um, 
that's split in revenue. But anyway, that's not what we are here to talk about. So t- uh, TV and Twitter and social media, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's an interesting mashup. It's very, it's, it, it, it is interesting how full on um, a lot of the TV stations are going into the social media space. You know, we see this, you know, a lot of the primetime TV shows, they'll put up their hashtags on the screen and then they'll sort of show tweets and Facebook messages from real-time content and a lot of them are going all in. You know, each stations have their in Australia have their own uh, iPad app where you can kind of like vote in real time on stuff that's happening and they show this this stuff as the TV show progresses. So yeah, it's interesting how, you know, how, how they're starting to integrate uh, in all kinds of different innovative ways. Um, and in many ways, I think, TV stations are probably almost leading the the charge in in sense of many in the way that businesses are integrating with with social media. I think it's um, they're probably at the forefront a lot of at a lot of this technology compared to sort of existing um, you know a lot of other existing sort of media or or retail stores. So yeah, I think it's I think it's incredibly interesting. The sports aspect of TV and Twitter, I think Twitter have really nailed that that is a very important part of their puzzle. Mm. I mean, nearly 25 million tweets sent during the Super Bowl, 25 million Super Bowl-related tweets Mm. sent during the Super Bowl. That's a lot of tweets for a short time period. Yeah, it's crazy, yeah. That's almost as if everyone in Australia tweeted once in however long the Super Bowl is. It's, it's yeah, that's incredible, yeah. It's a lot of tweets. And so Twitter have really identified that the sports plus TV and then to a lesser degree TV in general is really going to be a key to driving their revenue. Hmm. I mean, it makes sense in a lot of ways. I mean, it's the kind of thing where, you know, you do want to have a conversation, you want to have, and, and you kind of want to have it with everybody's involved. And when it comes to sports and television, you know. A lot of opinions. Yeah, there's a lot of opinions. And there's it's also a lot of people as well. Like, it's not just like a small thing. It's like, it's almost the whole nation could potentially be tuning into a TV show or a certain sporting event. And um, and in many ways, Twitter is the only way where you can have kind of a, a sort of nationwide conversation about those events because you know Facebook's much more closed and um, and so is pretty much every other social network. So what about Google Minus? Google Minus, <laughs> I don't know. I guess you could kind of do it through Google mm. Minus. You could do like a hangout for the whole nation. I'm surprised <laughs> no one's called it Google Minus before. It just seems like you know it's such a such a. Um, I, I like Google Plus, but um, yeah, I think it's even. It was flapping its wings at some stage. I don't even think it's flapping its wings anymore. It's got a little bit of adoption here and there, um, and little they keep, niches. They keep pushing it. They rolled out um, that sign in with the Google Plus thing yeah, the other week. Yeah, I saw that. So. But uh, I think a lot of people are a bit wary of that because um, one of the problems with Google being so integrated is that, um, you know, if you if you have your account suspended through any of their services, then it affects every other service. So if you were to sign up your business and and have your website have a sign-in with Google, um, you know, if your account gets suspended, then all your users can't log in. Or if any of your users' accounts get suspended for another reason, then they can't log into your service. So there are actually problems with having a business that big uh, running that kind of sign-in service, but um, anyway, that's a bit of div- diversion. I the, the element of TV that the evolution of t- the element of evolution of TV that I've enjoyed the most, and it's the reason why I got a TV back in my home, is um, on demand. Um, mm. You know, many years ago, when when there was no such thing as on demand, and people and and I would just sit in front of the TV, and it's very much like, okay, here's my time. 
exploit it, do with it what you want. And I sat like a zombie or and watched people sit like a zombie. Really frustrated me. I got rid of a TV for over 10 years. When On Demand came in, I felt that really it gives me control back of my time. Yeah. And to me, that the On Demand environment has really been a big game changer as well. I watch everything. I basically, I watch when I watch something, it's on demand now. Hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, that's how a lot of my viewing habit is as well. You know, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna watch something, it's rarely that I'm just gonna turn on the TV and see what's on there. It's you know, I, if I do watch something on TV, it's you know, it's something like uh, My Kitchen Rules or something that is that's on you know periodically every day. But most of the time, if I'm gonna watch something, it's you know something that you know I've sought out and uh, and pre-planned to to see, as opposed to sort of just passively you know, consuming whatever's on. Um, I do remember the days of my youth when uh, it was exciting. There were so few TV programs when I was young um, on, on our TV in, in South Africa that it was such a national event when there was, you know, a program on at 8 p.m. that everyone watched and the country <laughs> would just stand still. I remember Dallas was the, the, the famous soapy when I was growing up. And literally, mm. the when it was on, retail oh there was so, there was some really massive national impact when it was on because it was it was it was such a limited content wow it's crazy you know so um I, I do. I, anyway, the point that I wanted to make, I think there is some sort of excitement, like with a sports event or something, where there is this shared experience at the same time. But I think on the day-to-day level, you know, everyone's time is is calibrated so finely that you want to watch what you want to watch when you want to watch it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's an evolving ecosystem. It's definitely always changing the way we consume media. Yeah, and um, it's 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 all becoming. Um, you, you know, mixed up, and I think I think one of the reasons why you're seeing Twitter all over the TV stations is that they are really scared of this internet beast, and they just do not mm, want to miss good point. the boat. Yeah. You know, the music industry missed the boat. It's all it's famous how they missed the boat, and they just they just don't want to you know do the same thing. So um, mm. anyway, we'll we'll watch um, with interest. I know SBS are doing interesting things with Twitter, and um, I don't actually watch any of the Australian programs that integrate Twitter heavily, like Q and A, and and do you watch them? Uh, no, I mean, like I said, like I mean, the kind of some of the reality stuff, like My Kitchen Rules, that kind of stuff, they kind of integrate. You know, because they have like the on the on the show, they kind of have like people judging you yeah. know the stuff that comes out, and then they kind of have bits where they sort of get the audience to judge as well, and they post up on the screen what they've judged. Um, but it's almost just like an overlay; it's not really integrated into the show per se. Um, but no, I don't watch any of the Q and A stuff that's, that's sort of directly directly integrated into the real time channels. Yeah, interesting. Really interesting times. I think that's it for episode number 14, Friday the 1st of March, Sydney, Australia. I usually say it's a beautiful day outside. I'm looking outside now and it is anything but beautiful. Cold and wet. Cold and wet. It does happen in Australia too. Um, We'll catch you for episode number 15 in a couple of weeks. Remember to tweet us. Remember to email us. And um, yeah, um, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. So from Kevin and James, see you later. Have a good week.